Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you. All right, I'm going to have you guys open your Bibles now so they don't freeze shut. Uh, Matthew 13. All right, I'm following up one of the top 10 out of (laughs) 1,000 teachings, so the bar is high. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) Um, So I am... I've just been on this thought train here. Let me, a second. The wind is rebelling. Okay, we're good. Um, I've been on this thought train lately of, you know, we, we uh, both Bethel here in Atlanta and Bethel in Reading would often describe themselves as a, as a kingdom church, that we're seeking God's kingdom. And I've noticed in the last five-ish years or so, the idea of a kingdom church being like, uh, the best way I can describe this would be like being denominationalized, which is um, is uh, not not inherently a bad thing. It's just a nat- or maybe I should say it this way: it's a natural thing to happen, which is we take a set of words, we take a set of beliefs, we take a set of churches, and we categorize them. You know, first it was just like oh, it's the outpouring, the survival, and then we kind of push that into the, well, that's what charismatic is, which means that you're going to do this, this, and this, and. Okay, and now I see this idea of a kingdom church coming together, which means this, this, or this. And um, it's natural for people to categorize things. It's, it's what we do. It's how our brains work. But this is one area that I started to feel a little bit of like, ah, a little, little, felt a little triggered as uh, I was, I've been dishearing this in small ways, not major ways, but just in small ways, because the kingdom of God is not a denomination. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. <laughs> And so I started to think, well, what is the kingdom of God? And I have a lot of different answers to that question. But as I was uh, looking through the Bible, I noticed that a lot of the times that Jesus is talking about the kingdom, he leaves a lot of mystery into what the kingdom is. And so I'm going to take you through some of my favorite parables. And for those of you who are feeling cold, you can be thankful that these are some of the shortest parables in the Bible. So uh, fear not. Um, the, um, but before I do, I want to uh, explain something here. So um, I, I've always been really passionate about writing since I was 15 years old. I really loved writing, dove headfirst into English, wanted to be an English teacher until God kidnapped me into ministry. Um, and uh, my favorite uh, English teacher, my seventh grade English teacher, who was a very harsh but very uh, talented woman, um, she taught me about the difference between a simile and a metaphor. Now, before any of you have a panic attack, I'm going to make this real simple. Um, the simple version that, and I remember getting annoyed when I first heard this, because I'm like, what's the difference between a simile and a metaphor? Well, a simile is when you say, this is like this. When you use the word like. A metaphor is when you just say, this is this. Like, you know, a simile would be, today is frosty like the inside of a freezer, you know. That'd be a simile, not a very good one, but a simile. Um, a metaphor would say, it is a freezer out here. It's like the saying it is. 
Now, that seems like a, I remember and I raised my hand to my seventh grade teacher and said, that seems like a dumb distinction because just one is like, one is, is, what's the difference? It's the same thing. Why not just call them all metaphors and keep it simple? Now, she got a look in her eye at that point that was, let me know that I was in some kind of error. Um, and she said, they, the difference between them is very small, but the ways that you use them are the different things that they do and the different reasons that you would use them are massive. I said, why? She said, because a simile, when you say something is like something, that means you're taking something that is mysterious, something that is out there, something that is intangible, and you're trying to make it more tangible. You're very clearly saying, this is not this, but this is like this. And it's the goal of it, the thing that a literary person would be doing when using a simile is, I'm trying to make this more clear for you. This is a weird, big, mysterious thing, or this is an emotion, or this is something that's hard to just explain in a factual way, but I'm trying to make it more clear. A metaphor is when you're actually trying to keep it mysterious, when you're trying to say, hey, we can't really understand this, but it is this, it is that. It's more poetic, it's more flowy. If you look in the Bible, a lot of Jesus' parables, he uses similes. As we're about to read, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. He's trying to make it more clear. He's trying to take something that's intangible and make it just a little bit more tangible. Now, you find a lot of metaphors in the Song of Solomon where we want to keep everything PG-13 and keep it all, you know, uh, metaphorical and safe <laughs> out there. Uh, I'll let you study that on your own. Um, I can try to figure what he's getting at in that book. Um, <laughs> I'll leave that there. Um, <laughs> so... So with that little, uh, very short English lesson, hopefully no one fell asleep, but uh, Jesus, when he's describing the kingdom, often uses metaphors, which means in the broad literary sense that he is trying to take something that's bigger than you can think, something that's mysterious, something that is not tangible, and not say this is this, but it's like this. If you understand this, then you understand part of what the kingdom is. So... I'm just going to read a couple of these to you. And again, I grew up in church. If some of us have grown up in church, sometimes these parables, they can be so familiar. We can have them quoted at you all the time where they lose all their meaning. Um, I actually wanted to do a little bit of an experiment here. I'm going to pray and invite the presence. And then as I, I'm just going to read through these one after another. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to engage with the presence of God. I want you to engage with your connection with him. And not make this me reading scriptures at you. Make this, this is the champion of your faith telling you what his kingdom looks like. He's attempting to bring clarity to something that is, to a certain extent, intangible. And so, Lord, we just invite your presence right now. We invite the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We... We, we tug on our connection. We're all in a different place in our walk with you right now. We're all in a different uh, step of our history. But Lord, we are all your children, and we are all always being invited into deeper relationship with you. So from wherever we are, we just release the pull of your presence and the pull of, your, of connection with you. So you don't have to close your eyes if you don't want to, but just whatever it looks like, get comfortable. I'm just going to read a couple of these. And most of, most of these are in Matthew, if you want to look them up later. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. A man found it, and he concealed it. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 
Next one. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, both what is new and what is old. Jesus put another parable before them. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it grows larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. The birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened all the way through. The sprouting seed. Um, and Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man scattering seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises at night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth by itself produces the first blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once the man puts, the sickle, puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And so I chose these uh, six parables because they, they're, they're kind of mysterious. They, they feel like these looking through a pinhole into the kingdom. You know, it feels like these, these little snapshots of what the kingdom is. And again, it's important to remember, and I've, when I've looked at different Again, I've been a Christian my whole life. When I've heard different people teach these parables, when I've heard, when I've read different commentaries on this parable, I think that sometimes the mistake gets made, and again, it's natural because we're trying to understand things as best we can, is to take that pinhole and make our entire universe that pinhole. He's not saying the kingdom of God is this. It is like this. It's about understanding the principle. It's about understanding what he's getting at. It's about matching your continued developing relationship with him, with what he said and what he's saying. And so let's just go through these for a second. I'm just going to share a little bit about some of what I've heard. And I would encourage you afterwards to share some of what you hear in these parables with the people around you. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. A man found it and he concealed it. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's the, the kingdom of heaven is a secret and mysterious thing. And when you find it, you feel like you found a great treasure. You feel like it's a windfall. And there's this part of you that wants to protect it, that wants to hide it, that wants to keep it for your, for your own. It says he actually hid the treasure and then sold everything that he has. It's about the value. It's about what he saw in that treasure that was worth everything that he owned to chase after and pursue that treasure. That says something about what happens when you see the kingdom about what your natural response is. Now, this is interesting because this is almost the opposite in, in a weird way. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Same principle, but a different thing. Everyone knows that pearls are valuable. This guy's a pearl merchant. He's in the pearl business. It's what he does. The other one was a secret treasure that no one else knew about that was hidden and he went and hid it and found it. This one was, I am in this business. This is what I do. This is my life. And I'm selling all that I have to go after this one thing that is the best version of what I have. This to me, especially these two parables, which are found right next to each other, starts to touch more of how King, God's kingdom works. It's not just this secret hidden treasure. It's not just this thing over here that only these kind of people understand. It's not just something that just works in the church. 
it actually works outside of it. It's something that anyone can see the value of. It's someone, something that someone who is an expert in a field can come to it and see, this is the best version of what I do. This is the best version of what I'm after. So the kingdom of God is not just this mysterious thing over here. It's also meant to be the best version of something that we understand naturally to be valuable. Does that make sense? It's not just distant, mysterious, and, and unknown. It's also tangible, which is cool. Especially if you're a more tangibly-minded person. And this, to me, is almost like a, a rapper a little bit on both of them. And then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, both what is new and what is old. Again, this one feels like one of those real deep ones where I'm looking through a pinhole and seeing a whole scene, a whole movie or something like that. That, you know, sometimes in church we can get in this mindset of what's the new hot thing? What's the, what's the best revelation? What's the freshest revelation? Who's got the, especially nowadays when you can just YouTube any, you know, hot preacher that's out there of like, well, who's, who's, who's spitting the hot fire? You know, who's, well, he's raised 72 people from the dead, so I'm going to go to his conference and, you know, well, she's, you know, cured 30 people of uh, leprosy and, you know, let's go to that. Uh, it's, it's not as big of a deal anymore, but it's still cool. Um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with going after more. There's nothing wrong with looking for the hidden treasure. There's nothing wrong with going after that. But it says that those who have been trained as a scribe in his kingdom, they value the old treasure and they value the new treasure. And they bring out both and they want to show you both. I think that, uh, unfortunately, I think we create a shallow kingdom when we are only looking for what the freshest revelation is. And we don't know how to remember and value what's come before. When we don't know how to, when, when our normal is to look at the new revelation as how it is more valuable and better than the old revelation, when we automatically go into that mindset. Because unfortunately we miss out because his kingdom is meant to be built up upon itself. It's true that the new does reframe the old, but it doesn't outmatch or outvalue the old. Does that make sense? So then we kind of move on to a different category. Um, we'll start with the mustard seed. This one's one of my favorites. I don't know why. This one just sticks in my brain. Jesus put another parable before them. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds, but it grows bigger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. The birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. The kingdom of heaven, sometimes when I hear people praying for revival, and I, I grew up in a culture where praying for revival was, was a main focus, and I visited other cultures where it's a main focus. And while I, while I um, do believe that prayer and, and pursuit of revival is an essential ingredient in, in getting breakthrough in revival. And history would show that that is true. Um, sometimes that pursuit can get us in the mentality of, oh man, if everyone was just on board, or if we would all just pray enough, or if we would all just get in one place, or if we would all just do this. But no, the kingdom of heaven can be the smallest of seeds and grow into the largest tree in the garden it naturally grows big, it naturally grows wide, and it becomes something big that grows, that everyone can see, and is even a shelter 
for others. It becomes a safe place. It becomes a place where people can rest, where people can build a nest, they can have family, where they can connect with one another that provides shade, that provides covering. And it starts, even just a little bit of it will grow into all of that. Next one, in, again, it's, this is interesting. It's the same thing where it's kind of like the inverse, at least in my brain, of the other side. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman, or yeast, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. Just so you know, that's about 60 pounds of flour um, till it was all leavened. And so what's this? This is, again, this is something that perpetuates itself. This is something that grows. This is something that if you put it you know, so again, we have this, we can sometimes have this mindset in the church of, you know, oh, I don't want to be around this kind of person, or I don't want to be around negativity, or I don't want to be in a, in a place where they're not going after this or going after that. Well, it's the nature of the kingdom to spread and to grow and to transform everything that it touches. And it just takes one little bit of it to transform 60 pounds of flour into leaven. Now, this is interesting because, again, now this is just, Blake's thoughts on, on these subjects, but a mustard tree is something that grows big, that, can every, that everyone can see, that provides shade, that's something that's tangible and something that you can see. Leavening of bread is something that you can only really see and recognize if you know what to look for. And it doesn't, uh, it makes, if you know what to look for, it makes dramatic changes in, in a dough. If you don't know what you're looking for, it looks kind of the same. It got a little bit bigger. And when I poke it, there's air bubbles and stuff. Um, the kingdom of heaven is amazing. It, it does big, crazy things that everyone can see. It, is, it builds a church. It builds a structure that is a safe place for families. That's a place to connect. That's a place that provides covering, that attracts people, that draws them in. But it's not just that. It's also something secret that happens on the inside that grows that no one else really sees unless they already know what they're looking for. A transformation that grows on the inside, that spreads to every corner, that doesn't, you know, there's other uh, parables where Jesus talks about, like, how can you separate the leavened dough from the unleavened dough once it's been leavened? Like, once it's all spread through, it's all the same. You can't, it's just like even with some of what Lindy was saying, like, oh, I just can't watch that show right now. It's not... It's not so much about like, oh, that's an evil show or that's a sinful show. It's that everything about me is transforming, and that means everything. Not everything except this little corner over here or everything except this little part of who I am. Does that make sense? The next one, again, to me, fits in the same category. And then Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a man scattering seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth by itself produces first the blade, then the, the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once the man puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. You can't make the kingdom happen. You can't. It, it, it's something that just God does divinely. But in this picture... The man planted the seed and the man harvested the grain. He was part of the beginning and he was part of the fulfillment of what that thing does. So it's not just something that God does. It's not just something that grows by itself. It's something that we as people are called to deposit and also reap what's happening. And I think it's important in all of our lives when we want the kingdom of God, when we want the goodness of God manifested on the earth, when we want everything that heaven is happening in every part of our lives, 
we need to recognize our personal responsibility in sowing that into our lives, but also reaping that as it shows up, receiving it, bringing that into our storehouses. I'm going to put a challenge to you. Um, I, for many years, was the kind of person who would hear testimonies or would see people experiencing God, and I would kind of feel like a scoffing thing inside that like, oh, they're just kind of exaggerating, or uh, they're not really experiencing God, or oh, they're, they're reacting that way because of this or because of that, or, you know, they're just kind of, they're just more external person, and I'm more stoic and wise and intelligent and uh, <laughs> handsome and all those things. Um, and I was seeing the harvest, but I wasn't getting my sickle to go reap it. The harvest was happening in people around me, but because I wasn't experiencing it naturally just standing where I was, I was scared to actively engage with what was happening, and because of that, I judged other people. Does that make sense? It's possible to be in the middle of revival, in the middle of God's kingdom, and not reap the benefits of it. Which makes us want to pay attention a little bit, I think. So what, what's, it, it's funny, because what's, what's the point of all this? Like, why is Jesus speaking in these parables? These are confusing. Why couldn't he just lay it out and put it on a spreadsheet and, you know, uh, put, a, put a dollar value on it and, you know, give me what I should do for each hour of day to achieve kingdomhood? Um, because the kingdom is vast and mysterious and it's bigger than you can just say. And I love this because Jesus explained this. If you want to turn, as I had you turn into Matthew, again, most of those parables were said just after this. Um, But this is after he first gives the parable of the, the seeds and the sower where like some are taken by thorns, some are taken by birds. And the disciples go to him and ask the same question that I did, which I'm glad that they did. It's like, why, why do you speak in parables? What are you doing this for? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them, the other people in this, in this crowd. Whoever has, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they, what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is filled the prophecy of Isaiah. And again, it's prophesying that people were here and not understand. Then he goes forward into verse 16. He says, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. I feel like we as a church are coming into a really um, unique season. Obviously, we are right now in a very unique season, (laughs) in a very literal way. Um, But I believe that we're coming into a season where we're inheriting an aspect of his kingdom. It's not just about our church, it's about many churches. And, And again, his kingdom is so vast that no one church or one person could exemplify all that it is. We're all called to different corners of it, to, to focus on different parts of it. And that, you know, those parts may shift. It will always be about the kingdom. 
But there are seasons where he's called us to represent this aspect of his kingdom and then this aspect of his kingdom and this aspect of his kingdom or these several aspects. Um, and I've, I've, I've said this a couple times, but I feel this strong sense of personal responsibility as it comes to this next season of what God wants to release. That it's not about me getting the right revelation or Steve getting the right revelation or or whether you have gone through ministry school or not gone through ministry school or go to our Wednesday night service or not or any of these things, that while all those things are valuable and of importance, that the central theme of being able to receive and participate in what God wants to do is have I developed my ears to hear and my eyes to see? Have I familiarized myself with who he is so that when he shows up, I recognize him? So that when I recognize when the harvest shows up, that I go and get my sickle and dig in rather than watching and waiting and saying, is this that, is this that? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to one more parable. This is a nice, kind, fun, gentle one. Potential sarcasm detected. Um, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife, his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Sounds great, right? At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. It's a good, he must have begged real good. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Intense. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. The kingdom of heaven is like... <laughs> oh, let's talk more about bread and mustard trees. And <laughs> Here's what I think when I read this parable. People, I've heard people teach about this um, with regard to forgiveness because um, obviously there's an aspect of forgiveness, but I, I see it a little bit broader. Um, I think... It is essential that we make the decision to allow the moments when we experience God's nature to transform our nature. Otherwise, we will not inherit or experience his kingdom. We will not experience what is right in front of us. That it is possible to experience something that dramatic. And yeah, that's a dramatic story. That's because it's a parable. That, that's an exaggeration. You know, would you, in real life, do you think if you had just been forgiven of that, you'd literally go out and choke someone you know, a few seconds later? You know, no, it's a parable because we've done that. 
Steve was actually talking about this a little bit. We've seen someone healed, and then we experience fear and doubt regarding this other situation. We've had financial breakthrough, and then we experience fear and doubt. Do I think that you're going to be thrown to torturers because of that? No, but worry is a kind of torture. <laughs> fear is a kind of torture. And by kind of torture, I mean it's torture. <laughs> you know? And... God has literally provided, when you have experienced a financial miracle, he has provided the ability to not be tortured by fear with regards to finances. And that we should let that piece of his kingdom remain unavailable to us because we are not letting those experiences transform the way that we think. It's sad. It's sad. And again, we, I, I don't want this to feel like a, you know, uh, do this, or this isn't a do thing. This isn't a, well, you just got to cleanse your teeth and, you know, study those revelations harder. No, it's a, remind me, Lord, remind me, Lord, remind me. Um, I, I had an experience with this uh, just in the past couple of weeks. So um, I, uh, um, I have uh, four children with a fifth one on the way. Woohoo! <laughs> some people are clapping. Some people are saying, what are you doing? <laughs> Oh. Man, if you ever want to experience judgment, just bring four kids into a grocery store. You'll get to experience. <laughs> oh. Yep. It's exciting. Anyway, opportunities to forgive all day. It's great. Um. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I have a fifth kid on the way, and um, we, we know how the um, Reading experienced a really traumatic fire recently. My uh, sister-in-law actually lost her house in that fire. Um, and so my wife went out to go help them. They were doing a, what's called an ash out, where you dig out all the ashes and look for your stuff. Um, so my wife flew out there for five days, and right before she left, I, I've been in the process of writing a second book, um, and just before she was leaving, I found out that, oh, hey, we need to, you to finish up this last part of the book by the end of this weekend, which is the weekend that my wife is going to be gone, and I by myself with my four children. And I'm looking at what I have left to do, and it's about 60 hours worth of work. Um, and I have four children and one weekend to get this done. And the spirit of fear came upon me. <laughs> and I'm going into this weekend feeling super panicked and like, oh gosh, I gotta get this done. How am I gonna get this done in the time? And I'm feeling the fear rise, rise, rise. And the, April's like, how are you doing? I'm doing great. This is fine. <laughs> no, yeah, you should definitely go. That's great. Blake, why is your voice so high? I don't know. It's just a, <laughs> it's just a thing I'm trying. Um, <laughs> um, and as soon as it got to it right about here, I just heard the Holy Spirit say, ask if you can get it done by X time and don't do any of it until X day, which is after that part of the weekend was over. And so I said, okay, emailed my publisher and said, hey, can I do this? They said, no problem, we can do that. And I felt absolute peace over the entire weekend. I watched four children by myself for five days while still having to do some meetings and get little phone calls and emails and stuff like that done. Yes, thank you. And I felt, <laughs> one person gets it. Um, and I felt absolute, total, and complete peace the entire time and had a great time. Like, it was, it was easy. So uh, then my wife got back, and we uh, had found out we were pregnant during, uh, just before that, the same weekend, because why not? Um, 
and the same weekend that we were moving onto this property for the first time. So let's just throw everything on here. Um, April gets back, and April uh, sometimes, when she's uh, making a human child, gets a little bit sick uh, and experiences uh, vomiting and fatigue and things of that nature. Um, and so I have this deadline that I've set up, and then my wife gets back and is suddenly not very available because she's busy throwing up, uh, which takes a lot of effort and energy and time, I understand. Um, and as soon as she gets back and I realize, April's not gonna, I can't just like go away and finish this uh, 60 hours of work I have to do in the next two days. I just need to do this myself again. I started feeling that, and the spirit of fear came upon him again. And feeling this going up, my voice is getting higher. And, uh, you know, and I'm feeling that fear rise up in me again. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, I already gave you peace. And so I stopped and slowed down, and I just worked on it in the time that I had and spent time with my kids when I was with my kids and didn't think about it at all and helped April clean up <laughs> as many times as was necessary um, from the throwing up, in case you're curious. Um, and, I've, and even though there were moments of fear and pain and things like that, I always felt the peace available and the option to choose it. And I got the book done, and I got that done, and April's almost be feeling better, very nearly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, that's a very simple, real-life thing, but it's the difference between the kingdom and being turned over to the torturers. That could have been a terrible weekend. That sh kind of should have been a terrible weekend, but I had a great time. <laughs> I, I didn't even just get through it. I actually had a great time. And I should have been panicked putting this book together at the, at the last part of it together in the editing and things like that. But I actually felt really fine for the majority of it, except in moments. It's the difference between experiencing the kingdom and being turned over to the torturers. And I just want to encourage you guys. The, when I, when I, after experiencing that weekend, and even though I'd had experiences like that before, Having something that simple and, and real and just true to life, you know, made me realize how much of my time I have spent turned over to torturers <laughs> and how much of that time I wasn't experiencing the kingdom, which was always available, always there, always at arm's length, ready to reach out and pull it in close. And I realized that as simple as it is, as simple as just reach for peace and how, che how cheesy that might sound to you in the middle of your situation, the Lord said it to me in a way that I could understand it and told me what I needed to do in that moment to understand it. And I've had the opportunity to repeat it anytime that feeling has come up again. I'm saying his kingdom is at hand. His kingdom is available. His kingdom is within arm's reach. And if we continue to study it, to look for it, to, to, to understand it, then we can invite it into every single part of our lives. Because I'm all for the kind of revival where God's presence shows up at church and people fall down and people get healed and people get saved. I am all for that. But I'm hungry for a revival that follows me home. That, yeah. 
I'm hungry for revival that changes what my work life looks like, that changes what my relationships look like, that changes what my friendships look like, that informs that anytime I run into a problem, I'm looking for what the kingdom is that's meant to fit into that slot because he has designed it to, like leaven, go into every single part of my life. How do I release that in there? How do I invite that in there? So I'm going to pray for you guys. Um, I feel like I'm supposed to impart something to you here at the end. Um, and it's something we've already brought up, but I want to, I want to hand it to you. Um, if there's one thing I've always been extremely grateful for, it's that I, um, I've usually found it relatively easy to, in the middle of something, if I don't get an answer from the Holy Spirit right away, I at least have this little itch, this little something that pops up that reminds me, oh, ask the Holy Spirit what to do. Because sometimes we're so, stuff is so crazy or things are going on so much that we, we forget to even ask that. And it's funny because it always feels like it's the Holy Spirit reminding me to ask him questions, which is, feels very little league. It's the T-ball, you know? It's like everyone, everyone gets to hit. Um, but I'll take it. Um, I want to impart eyes to see and ears to hear. Ears that can hear when the kingdom is coming out of someone's mouth, when the kingdom is coming out of our own mouth, when the kingdom is not coming out of our own mouth and can learn to tune in to where it is. Eyes that can see what he wants to do, see what our families can look like, what our work can look like, what our normal day can look like, what our leisure time can look like, that it could be as fulfilling as I'm longing for it to be that my family could feel fulfilling, that my leisure time could feel fulfilling, that my work could feel fulfilling, that all of it could actually be good because God is good and his kingdom is good and he has created a way for that kingdom to inhabit and transform every corner of who we are, which seems like a pretty good deal to me. So Lord, right now I just release eyes to see and ears to hear that we would be, that our eyes would be hungry for your kingdom. That even when we, when we see problems, when we see issues, both big and small, both international and personal, that we would not have a, we would not have a human reaction to them, but we would have a kingdom reaction to them. That does not mean that we don't experience fear. That does not mean we don't experience pain. That does not mean that problems won't come up, but it means that the answer is present and that we can see the hand of our Father moving towards every problem and challenge, both big and small. Lord, I release ears to hear that we are attuned to you, to your voice, that even in the middle of our greatest crisis, in the middle of our greatest pain, in the middle of fear, in the moment of, of, of simple overwhelm, uh, over, overwhelming challenge, that even if we can't hear what you're saying right away, we would have that little whisper, that little voice that says, what is the Holy Spirit saying? What is the Holy Spirit saying? What is he saying? What is he doing? What is his response to this? And Lord, above all, I release the gift of patience to wait for what he's saying and to watch for what he's doing. That we would not fall into the temptation of just trying to release what we think the answer is, 
but we would have the courage to wait, watch, and listen for what he's doing, as well as the courage to respond. You would teach us how to plant those seeds, give us the patience to wait as they grow, as they, as they grow in ways that we could not make them grow ourselves, and the courage to when we see something that has grown to its ripeness, that we would grab our sickle, go out there, and begin to harvest, that we would not let the enemy trip us up at any one of those stages, that we would not let lies steal the joy that is set in front of us, the joy that Jesus won on the cross, the access that Jesus won on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.